Welcome to the Smarty Podcast Series from Charlotte Smarty Pants, where we focus on all things parenting. We talk about everything from education, health, travel, beauty, fashion, and more. Join in on the discussion at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast Series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio, and the best parties in the QC the pop star music video parties, and professional voice lessons in a studio. Also amazing content creation. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com. Hi everyone, this is Cheryl Perry and Jen Plim with Charlotte Smarty Pants. Welcome back to the Smarty Podcast Series. We're talking to Mary York Oates, the Director of Admissions at Charlotte Latin School, one of our favorite education people in Charlotte. And we're talking about educational buzzwords today. Um, Mary York is kind of is going to demystify some of these words that maybe some parents might not be used to. Um, we're going to start with the word stamina as far as it pertains to education. So, Mary York, what is stamina and what? how much stamina do our kids need to be successful in the classroom? Stamina is exactly what you think it is, and that is the ability to sort of um, last and, and to endure. Um, but I think the thing, especially in the beginning grades when we talk about stamina, is it's not just about energy. So stamina would include cognitive stamina. We would apply it to cognition. Right. Um, a young student coming into school, even if they've been in a 10 hours of daycare daily at a wonderful, robust, enriching daycare center um, is not expected to have incredible cognitive stamina. Most licensed child care centers don't execute um, lesson plans in the way that a teacher would because right. by state law, the children are to, to be able to sort of um, self-choose and move around. And so in a classroom, when a teacher is teaching a lesson, the expectation around cognitive stamina for a really beginning student is that it's going to develop. And by the end of the year, they will have more than they have at the beginning of the year. It's not exactly attention span, but it kind of looks like that. Then we talk about um, core strength and desk stamina, mm -hmm. the ability to, to motor through work at a young age. That is a really interesting educational opportunity when I work with young parents um, we talk about fine motor a lot, but it's not just the ability to move a, a pen across or pencil across a piece of paper. It's also the ability to sit up, to um, kind of have that posture, because when a child's slumping down and fatiguing, they just can't produce. Um, and then, of course, there is the physical stamina, which comes with just can you get through the day? Can right, you right. Are you rested? Um, it's, it takes a lot out. If you think about you're being sort of sapped with your cognitive stamina and then you need the death stamina, why wouldn't you be a little more fatigued? Right. right. Um, That's so. why kindergartners are so exhausted. They're drained. By 12. <laughs> it is a know? riot to yeah. watch them. It I is. remember mine coming home from kindergarten and, and really taking me by surprise that – they would have it all together at school and then just unglue as soon the as car. they stepped in the car. Exactly. Yeah. Not even out of the parking lot. Yeah. It right. was like crazy time. Well, I remember getting um, emails from my boys' kindergarten teachers especially, and we'd have to send in like a beach towel at the beginning of the year. <laughs> oh, yes. Time. I'm yes. like, there is no way my crazy boys are going to take a nap. And she's like, oh, no, they're First sound one's out. asleep. Yeah. Right. And that always surprised me. And but if they have a full day program, if they're mm -hmm. going until 3 or 3.10, right. I mean, even they, if they TK'd, even my TK right. ones were yes, exhausted. Yes, same, same. 
same, exactly same. Yeah. Just think of all that they're they're having to to hold in their little brains and right. their little bodies. Right. It's, it's it is a big workout. About how many hours do you think kindergartners sit in a classroom? They don't. I mean, they. I would say sitting time at a desk is mm-hmm. probably like percentage wise of the day. Oh, oh. Gosh, percentage-wise, 10 or 15%. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they're they moving move more mm-hmm. than they ever were. And I found um, a big difference even from my first child mm-hmm. to my fourth. Mm-hmm. In six years, I feel like the, it's changed the mm-hmm. way they do a kindergarten classroom. We go from whole group where they're sitting crisscross applesauce on a rug in a very comfortable posture um, to workshop where they're up and moving at their desk and they may be doing something for 10 or 15 minutes and then it's the transitions are really clear and then they might go to music or they might go to library or they might go to PE but our literary and our big sort of academic instruction when we give tours at Charlotte Latin for people teachers to see it um, and parents to see it it's from about 8 15 to 10 those are sort of sacred teaching moments but they're not sitting for two hours right I can tell you that how do we like what tips do you have for you know rising kindergarten moms about training them just to, like my boys still they stand when they eat like they, mine are like might be like, a boy I know just sit and relax and they're like they don't even and, they they, and they're not diagnosed word. with anything they just are active <laughs> yeah. yeah there's no diagnosis that's not <laughs> and a, they don't even really love to eat they're no like, just they, it's just it fuel in. exactly it's yeah. fuel it's yeah. fuel you know, I, I think that I want parents to have just a little bit of relax. Relax. I mean, <laughs> read to them, tell them no. When if they're jumping up out of the seat, you know, I think it's fair to say you have to sit at the table for six yes. minutes or something. I mean, I think yes. you've got to have. I think when a child can't respond to the boundary, that is the bigger problem. That's a problem. Right? And so they've got to be able to know that it's school and not the first few weeks. I mean, they're going to figure it out by conference time. But I think just understanding, especially in the first few weeks of kindergarten, maybe don't schedule play dates. Oh. Maybe go easy on the after school yes, activities. Yes, for sure. So I just would, be cognizant of the fact that your child is probably exhausted. That's right. I yeah. mean, and just kindergarten in general and first grade too. I mean, first grade's another leap up if you've got this – pretty intentional reading program, then they're even doing more in first grade. Um, I would be really careful about overscheduling them. Yeah. Right. I mean, that could be a topic in itself. I think it has been. Yeah. Yeah. I I think think so, too. It sounds familiar, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Okay. And now another term. What is growth mindset? Like, how can we move beyond just defining it? Um, Growth mindset was based out of Carol Dweck's research. She's a clinical psychologist from, um, I think she's clinical, maybe she was counseling psychologist from Stanford. And her research was based on two theories that there's either a fixed mindset that intelligence is fixed, that you sort of, it is what it is, you're born with what you have. It's your DNA. It can't grow. And then that it, the growth mindset that intelligence can't improve. And so the theory behind the growth mindset, I'm seeing it go beyond learning right. into like corporate workspaces and collaborative. It sounds corporate to me. It does. But, yeah. it, but she did it based – her research was based in if children believe they can do better and that, they're, that they can um, – that sense of optimism – um, coupled with the work. You can't just think you're going to do better. Right, right. And then magically. <laughs> I mean, it would be awesome if we could all do that. Exactly. It'd be life-changing. Exactly. But there's a, she's read, written a lot of articles. and um, Carol Dweck. Carol Dweck. And yeah. as a matter of fact, the book, there's a book 
called How Children Succeed by Paul Tuff, um, which is we'll talk about grit, I think, mm-hmm. next. Yep. But, we'll link um, all of these smarties yes, in our, our mm-hmm. um and and he refers to Dweck's work, but you could look up Carol Dweck and she's written a lot too. So it's it's mind you know, it's it's believing in yourself really. The simple version. I mean, is, obviously yes. there's there intelligence, there is genetic components to it, but drive is can and take you further. And it's also the theory that you can improve. And I think like ACT prep or SAT test prep, we've seen that the score is not fixed. You, you, it can improve. They have the, to want right. to improve Right, it. but they've right. got to do the work to improve it. And whereas the IQ is really known to be kind of fixed. Right. It is really it what, is what it, it is. It is what it is. But that doesn't mean that achievement has to have the same. Right. You know, and there, I think, yeah. There's strategies that can strategies, be taught right. to exactly. make you better at anything that you do. Right. And um, that I think that I don't know that Dweck did this work, but the theory that the most important trait for a college student is um, the is optimism. If you are optimistic about the outcomes, that usually sets you apart. Do you find I know you go to educational conferences and all that with teachers from around the country in different types of schools. Do you find that teachers understand this concept and are creating curriculum? With this in mind? Yes, I think that there are, um, in the best schools, absolutely. I think that um, any teacher that links best practices to brain research, to methodologies, um, and is always learning, he or she is always learning, I believe they're going to bring a really rich experience to the classroom. And I think that at Latin, I can say that one of the strengths of our school community is the culture is one where you want to keep learning. And so if you don't sort of stay up to date in the field. You mean um, as a teacher, you want to keep learning about your field. Right. And then, you know, that that's just sort of the culture. So I think there are schools in our community that are blessed with um, that kind of um, growth mindset, growth mindset, <laughs> as well as just resources. Because right. at the end of the day, I mean, it is nobody works harder than a teacher. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, so moving on, the other rigor and grit. What are what are rigor and grit? And yes, what are those? Well, I, I laughed because I think Cheryl had asked me once. You know, should we should we should we be terrified of the word rigor or yeah. should we embrace it? And I love that question. Um, I like to frame grit versus rigor, really. I mean, that would be my advice. That's the right. way that I think. I love grit. Grit. I mean, I, so grit is the trait that you hope your children learn. So it is that exactly what you think. It's that ability to take something hard to be successful or to fail and to not be wrapped up so much in that outcome, but yet be really, really committed to the process and sticking with something and learning who you are, learning what your strengths are. And so what's happened in sort of educational parent speak is that colleges talk about the rigorous transcript. 
Mm-hmm. And what that means is selective colleges, and there are 288 selective colleges in America and something like 3,200 wonderful colleges and universities right. that aren't hitting that super selective. But selective colleges are saying we want to see the most rigorous transcript appropriate to the child. So an admissions committee is going to read the aptitude. They're going to learn about the student, and they're going to see, is the student pushing himself? The best that that student can. So it doesn't mean they have to take the highest level of everything all the time and have straight A's. It means have they taken advantage of opportunities to reach? Now, what so so a lot of parents would a lot of parents would argue against that, right? Saying that you know like I've had in situations where in seventh grade, if you are not taking the most advanced math class, you can already tell that you're not going to Chapel Hill, Duke, whatever. You know, and it's like, is that for real? I don't know. Um, I think that that there is some truth in this statement. The best students. The children that perform with the highest grades and the highest scores are going to get into the highest the highest yeah. colleges. Yeah. However, but our regular universities, do they put you in a pile if you are not in that highest caliber? Like, do you even get to— Is there a knockout they, round, so to Do speak? they even get to read your essay if you are not in the highest caliber? I think that in the really, really— huge application pools where there are 120,000 applications for 6,000 spots. There's going to be what I call a knockout an round, eight, a yeah. sorting round. And, you know, it's it's nothing personal. You know, it's just yeah, it's numbers. GPA numbers. You it's know, numbers. And, and then they get into the to the reading. Um, what I, I think worries me a little bit about the rigor piece, and I think as we talk to smarty pants moms and dads out there, be mindful that – your perception of rigor and what the child can and should do need to be aligned. Right. Because here's the problem. When a parent insists and the culture is you're going to take the hardest classes and at all costs you're going to be successful and you're going to make straight A's and, oh, by the way, you're slipping, so we're going to get the tutor. Oh, by the way, um, this teacher is unfair. It's known. Everybody at soccer talks about how unfair she is. I'm going to run in and advocate on your behalf. I'm going to run interference. Um, oh, gosh, you need to you've, – you've got to go take the ACT one more time because you need one more point. These messages that parents right. are giving, the one person that can call the phony baloney the quickest is the child. Student, right. And well, so, and you're not doing them any favors. You're making them feel worse or stressed or – And guess what else you've just done? You have removed the opportunity to develop grit. Right. They know they're propped up. Right. They know they didn't do it by themselves. Right. Then they go to college, and we were talking about this last time with David. They catastrophize. When right. something goes wrong, like, there's no way there's They don't know how to even process it. Right. And goodness gracious, they're not going to call home and tell them that they're failing right. because the number one – driver support or driver or is the one that and and I'm not saying that you know that's universally true but I think that parents don't realize that we're sometimes the kryptonite right Right. and I think as 
I'm, I have a high school freshman. It's scary as a parent because you go into these high school informational parent meetings, right away they're talking college. Right. They're talking what classes, this yeah. is the, re- the road It's map. terrifying. It's terrifying. You're an eighth grade parent and you're going to an orientation and you're like, hold up, my kid's 13. I don't I don't even remember my here? parents being like that. No. But, but it's like we don't have the option so there's to like not a, kind of be, the, to no at least option. be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. To be yeah. informed, you should be. And it's, it's, um, yeah. it's really stressful and... It kind of goes again, you know, like everything we've been taught leading up to this is we do want we want our children to sell, live on their own and, and, and perform and fail on their own. And leading up to high school, we're not supposed to be meeting with our teachers or or whatever. I don't even know what their homework is half the time. Right. But but what, sometimes that's not normal. It seems mm-hmm. like it's more normal for helicopter parenting and or yeah. a semi version of that. And um, I don't know who's going to win. Yeah, so the parents who are trying to be stand, stand off, you know, teach your kids. They're almost, competing's too strong of a word, but it gets to be like a competition with the more helicopter parents because their kids are getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? They Absolutely. know exactly so how many hard. points you're going to get for a certain level mm-hmm. of volunteerism and this award and this award and merit awards. And I'm like, I, I can't even have a conversation anymore with a lot of high school moms because I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's the solution is. My advice um, always is um, make friends with people that have children two or three years older than yours so that they yeah. can say it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, because I— And will, maybe who have the same philosophy. Right. Parenting if style. You, if you right. befriend someone to, and they're a helicopter, that mm-hmm. will stress you out like right. nobody's it's business. It's beyond right. stressful. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. And you and you feel it's, it's, it's slightly engaging— behavior to to talk and we're all concerned about it but i believe that that you can't really beat the system i think there's some right. students that are so made for the harvards and the right. absolutely and, and you know embrace and the thing that. is you don't need to do anything as a teacher no. you're not doing much you're just sort yeah. of staying out of their way and saying feeding them you feeding just watch them. it you grow watch yeah grow. which is a beautiful thing and, right and so um you know, I think the more true story is one where a parent, the end goal should be for us to celebrate those top 10% and say we knew them. Yeah. We were in the class with them. Our kids yes. hung in there with them and, yeah, and, and participated in great experiences. And our children are thriving in college. Like the end goal, I think, for all parents should be to give them the tools. And, and that is to develop the grid. Um, we talk a little bit. I don't know if you want to talk about student agency. Yeah, let's move into yeah. that one. But student agency is is another um, – that came out of Harvard's research with a think tank called the Achievement Gap Initiative, which is to kind of understand um, sort of equality in education. And student agency is – that word agency is that word like stamina. It's kind of what you know it to be. But student agency is the deliberate and intentional engagement a student has. Right. A child that um, they they analyzed this research project that they did involved 16,000 middle schools. So it was really a lot of information. But what they determined was children with student agency. I laugh because this is what I knew a kid with student agency in my class. His name was Benji, and he had all of these things. He, they say, a child that that distrib- distributes, that d- demonstrates, excuse me, these traits. They are punctual. They are conscientious. They ask the teacher for help. They're very engaged in the classroom, and they are really well organized. So 
like we call that student agency now. Mm-hmm. We're defining that, but haven't you always known people like that? Right. Right. right? And, Definitely. But what your question was a minute ago, Cheryl, segues into um, there are communities that are what Harvard classifies as agency boosters and agency dampers. And the boosters, um, the, those are teachers that demonstrate these characteristics, and they they call them the seven C's or something, and I won't remember all of the C's, but one of them is care. Does the teacher care for the student? One is challenge. Can the, the teacher challenge? One is confer. Does the teacher confer with the student mm-hmm. and get feedback? One is clarify. Does the teacher is the teacher able to clarify the instruction or or help with the eureka moment, if you will? Mm-hmm. And then the other one, hello, classroom management. Mm-hmm. Is it a yeah. well um, run classroom? Right. That that is predictable and has routine. So those are things that can increase student agency. But at the end of the day, you know, nice little buttoned up. Um, if a child is the agent for his or her work, we have allowed them these gritty opportunities to be resilient. And they work hard and believe in themselves. They should be pretty successful. So there's a little formula, neat yeah. and tidy right, right. there. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that it's kind of common sense, but this information, all of it we've talked about today has been researched. Yeah. And it has mm-hmm. been backed up with right. scientific data. So there's some proof in the pudding. Yeah, it's all really important to know for parents and educators. So mm-hmm. thank yeah. you so much. Thank we you. always yeah. love having it's fun you. fun to be here. Um, so if you would like to find Charlotte Latin on social media, you can go to charlottelatin.org or Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Latin School and Twitter at Charlotte Latin. You can find Charlotte Smarty Pants at charlottesmartypants.com, Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Smarty Pants and Twitter at Charlotte Smarty. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to our Smarty Podcast. You can always join in on the conversation at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com.